You are listening to Liberty, the third sermon in a series entitled Render Unto, Finding Caesar's Place in God's World and Our Place in Caesar's, preached in October of 2008 at Hocassin Baptist Church. And now, Pastor John Boulay. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. <laughs> that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This month, the past two weeks, and this week, and, and next week, we have been kind of centering our conversation of God and politics around this phrase, of this declaration of independence, of life, and of liberty, and of happiness. Our first week we talked about how I believe there is a need in the church for us to declare our independence from the way the world tells us we have to engage and we ought to engage. That we are more than just a vote. We are lovers of Jesus. And that we, we do much more than simply go behind a curtain and, and make our opinion known in a private little container. But we speak truth to people in many different ways. And among these ways are the ways that we understand life, the ways we engage with life. That's what we talked about last week. This morning we're talking about liberty, and we'll end next week with a conversation on the pursuit of happiness and what God's intention is for that. But as we do that, I've chosen this idea of the Declaration of Independence and this famous phrase, life, liberty, and happiness, to highlight the idea that there is, in a sense, uh, a dual citizenship for Christians. That you are a citizen of this world, of this country or this community. You are a citizen here, but we are also a citizen of God and God's politics. And because of that, we have, in a way, superimposed or overlapping empires. And so the world of Caesar is telling us one way to be and to do and to think and to engage but we have a, a larger world with a greater God speaking in, going, and this is how you ought to be and do and engage. And the, kind of the admonition for this month has been that as we get caught up in what Caesar wants us to do with the vote and with the politics, that we would not be so mindful or just be mindful to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but we would be ever mindful to render unto God what is God. With this dual citizenship is this kind of parallel concept of life, liberty, and happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is of integral concern not only to an American, but to a Christian. Many of the messages preached on any given Sunday in any given Bible-believing church revolve around issues of life and, and of Christian liberty and of Christian happiness. And so what will happen in the danger, and what we're going to talk about this morning, is how it, what we can often do is take the world's idea of liberty, or some idea like it, that is in parallel with God's kingdom, and we can kind of assume that that's what God's kingdom is like. Because if you have parallel, uh, parallel governments, if it was a perfect world, what would happen is God's politics would flow down and become man's politics. In a perfect world, that's what would happen. It happens occasionally in this world, but in a perfect world, God's politics 
would come right down and there would be perfect unison and parallel. God's idea of life would be our idea of life. God's idea of liberty would be our idea of liberty. But it's not a perfect world. And so what we often find is that the world's view of something like liberty, what the world thinks of liberty, we take and it actually pushes up and it poisons God's view of liberty. And so this morning is, a, is an encouragement for us to think about the concept of liberty in a godly way because the scriptures talk a lot about freedom and they talk a lot about liberty and we know we're freed from things. But we want to make sure that we embrace those things in a special way. So this morning is going to be much more about learning how to be uh, part of God's community than learning how to be part of this world's community. So we're going to move in reverse this morning. We've been talking a lot about how to be a good worldly citizen. This morning we're going to talk about how to be a good godly citizen. If you will, pray with me. Uh, By the way, I know it was like a a marathon game night last night. So I pray the Lord's peace on you that you can uh, focus. Please pray. Lord, we ask you bless this time, that we give this time to you, that our spirits would render unto you willingness to hear and a desire to learn and a desire to be more like you. Father, that we would hear your words spoken and that its truth would speak into our lives and that it would transform. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how does the world define liberty? That's the first question we'll ask. There is a modern answer to that, and there is, um, I was going to say early church answer, a founding father's answer to that. Uh, We'll get to the founding father's response in a second. But the modern definition of liberty sounds kind of like this. I, I, uh, I pulled it from some dictionary. Here's two definitions of liberty. The way it's, it's commonly thought about in our way and day of life. Liberty. It means autonomy from the arbitrary exercise of authority. That's one definition. In other words, uh, in regular talk, it means uh, less meddling, the better. Or it's a philosophy of non-interference by government. Here's another definition. Definition two, liberty. The freedom to think or feel or do just as one pleases. Now, in a way, these two definitions are just the different sides of the same coin. The idea of non-interference by government or non-intervention by government is a political side of this social liberality of let me do or think or say what I want to, what I want to do or think or say. It's just a political and a moral side. But that's pretty commonly uh, the notion among people who are are big on liberties, is they want their freedoms to be protected, or what they think their freedoms are. Protect my freedoms. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to think. And all of that, that attitude, gives birth to an idea, whether they know it or not, or whether we know it or not, because we are all victims of this to some degree, that we are in some way autonomous individuals. To say that I don't need the government, or the people, or a community, or my family, depending on where we are in life, to speak into our lives, is essentially saying that I, by myself, am fully complete and competent to figure out the way in life. That's essentially what we're saying. We don't need someone to come and tell us what to do. We don't need authority to speak to us. This is, in one way, a worship of personal freedom. And we see it all around us. One byproduct of this 
people who worship personal freedom or the areas of life where we worship it is we become very aware of where our freedoms end and the barriers begin. So children, let's just use children because either we have children or we're children. No matter how big your backyard is, you may move. We used to live on six acres. No matter how big your backyard is, if your kids walk out that back door, the first place they're going to wonder is, how far can I go? Right? They're going to go right up to the fence, and then they're going to go, Dad, why is this fence here? Well, son, there's a highway. Wow, well, what about the gate over there? Can I go through the gate? Can I go under the fence? Can I hang out? And they'll kind of hang out by the fence. You know, they'll kind of... And they'll give you that side look as you're, like, walking away, and you'll give them that look like... I'll spank your hiney if you go over that fence. <laughs> but that's how it is. When, when, when we are into our, our liberty, into our rights, what we immediately do as people is we, we scatter down the frontier and we find out where do my liberties end. And then we start to say, and why? Why do my liberties end here? You see it on the media. On a sitcom or on TV or in the movies, they have, in an ingenious way, they are always pushing the limit. They know what words they can say and what words they can't say. And the words they can't say, they find synonyms to link together in a context so they can really say it. They find out how much a person can wear, how much she can't wear, how much they can show it, and what time it can be shown. And they constantly try to get that shown earlier and earlier and earlier on networks. They find out what you can say as a cartoon character, what kind of commercials you can make, what kind of things you can sell to your children. And they're always pushing the limits. For people, for us, for communities that are into liberties, we will immediately send out to, the, to the, the frontier and find out why is this rule here. And there is never enough freedom for people like that. You will never, ever be able to set a parameter that will satisfy someone who is in the worship of personal freedom. Because that's what they worship. It's done in our art. In fact, there's a whole field of art that revels in the fact that it deconstructs the rules and authority of art. You know, jazz, now jazz music nowadays is pretty structured. If you want to play jazz, if you're going to go to like Preservation Hall on Bourbon Street or something, and you want to hear real jazz, there's rules. There's professors that study jazz. But when jazz came out, the hip thing about jazz was it broke the rules. You didn't know where it was going to go. It was crazy. Cat. That was jazz. But that, is, that shows kind of a birth of liberty. I, I like jazz, by the way. But it shows that, that movement shows this birth of we can do what we want, the way we want to do it. Don't tell us what to do. Now, how can we live in a world like that and not expect that it doesn't show up in the church? Let me ask you a few questions. Have you ever... I know these are all yes questions because I was there not too long ago. Have you ever attended church and in your mind your thought is is that the purpose of church is for, to provide for you a space where you can approach, you can, you can worship? That's the purpose of church. That this, this room or this time is the church labors to create for you a free space to approach the Lord. I'd say that's partly true, but there's problems with that. If that's all it is, if all this church is, is your place to come and meet the Lord, I'll say there's about 300 people here on Sunday that are missing out 
on your bad theology. There is more to church than simply coming and meeting the Lord. You're not independent. The coffee didn't show up there by accident. Right? Our children aren't taken care of by coincidence. There are people back there. We're interdependent with one another. We don't have a liberty to say, the purpose is that I show up and I, re- I just wallow and bask in the space given me. I think that is an idea of worldly liberty that has come into the church and has affected all of us, I think, to some degree. What happens when the church lets you down? When you don't like the way something's going in a church, what's the American answer? Go to another church. We start church shopping, as it would be called. Why? Because, by golly, our liberties need to be the, our first. We are worshipers of personal liberty. So we need to find a place that we're satisfied, a place that meets our needs. Are all these phrases recognizable? I'm not saying there's not some truth in it. I'm not saying that God doesn't call people to go church shop. But we should be honest with ourselves as to what's driving us to do that. We can only imagine how the worship of personal liberty enters into things like church discipline, admonition, I mean, brothers and sisters, I would encourage you that if you have a Christian friend in this community that is in sin, that you would not permit them to have personal liberty, but that you would speak into their lives the truth of God. That's why we're here. We are interdependent. We are not independent. The problem is, is that Scripture uses enough liberty language that this can be challenging. Is there's concepts and words and phraseology in Scripture that make us go, well, there really is something called Christian freedom. And there really is liberty. My favorite verse in all of Scripture is Galatians 5.1, which says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It is my favorite verse, at least this week. No, I really, really, really like it. But... But, but in it, when you hear it, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. If the world's idea of freedom is what comes to your mind, then you're not reading Scripture appropriately. Because surely Scripture cannot be about independent worship of personal freedom. That simply cannot be it. I'm going to give you an example. We'll be in 1 Corinthians this morning. So if you will turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. The church in Corinth is essentially the American church because it's all up on personal liberty. In fact, almost the entire letter of 1 Corinthians is being addressed to a, by Paul to the church about their problems with personal liberty. If you, if you ever want to study or understand the letter of 1 Corinthians, to read it through a light of liberty will make the whole letter very coherent. That Paul is trying to bro- pull them underneath a greater authority. And so when we arrive here in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, what Paul's speaking to is the disconnect between what the apostles are doing and what the church in Corinth is enjoying. Because the apostles are slaving for the gospel. They're offering their lives up. They're expiring their energy and their effort to preach the gospel faithfully, to land in different peoples. They're doing everything that is possible. They're working their hands to the bone to give their lives 
to the preaching of the gospel. And then Paul hears about Corinth, and Corinth's, we've been forgiven. We're free. Right on. That's Corinth. That's Corinth. And he somehow he says, he writes to the Corinthians, this letter is, what is the disconnect? Is what he's saying to the Corinth. How can you see me, your father, because Paul brought the gospel to the Corinthians, how can you see your church father work his life to the bone and you sit there and enjoy this pseudo-liberty to do whatever you want? Because Corinth, the Corinthian church had issues. This thought of God, Christ forgave us, therefore we can do whatever we want. So this is what Paul says. I'll read verse 1, and then I'll skip to verse 8. But Paul's addressing this. He says, So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. He's speaking of the apostles. And then he begins to address the Corinthians very sarcastically in verse 8. He says, Already you have become, uh, you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings, and and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings, so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of this world. That's Paul's idea of Christian liberty. The church says, why we're free in Christ. And Paul says, therefore be like me. He says, how is it consistent if you're free in Christ that you have made your life, you act as though you're rich in the faith, you act as though you have all you want, you act as though the church space for you is so perfectly ideal for you to meet with the Lord while we, the leaders of the church, are wearing ourselves to the bone. That's what Paul is saying here. I think the worship of personal liberty is unbiblical. So let's see what the founding fathers thought. Let's see what their definition is. If it isn't the modern definition, maybe they had it right. Well, this is what I I find to be the founding fathers' definition of liberty based on the Declaration of Independence and their surrounding works. Liberty. Freedom from servitude or confinement or oppression. Freedom from servitude or confinement or oppression. The founding fathers were not creating, they were not declaring their independence so that people could do whatever they wanted. In fact, the founding fathers declare their independence and then build our government. They weren't anti-government, they made our government. The founding fathers were innately interested in good, orderly, caring government. What they were against and the liberty they spoke out against and the liberty they're speaking of when they say life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is against the tyrannical oppression of the foreign power of King George. They're saying we have a right to live in freedom of coercion. 
We have a right to live in freedom from slavery and from oppression. And that is the Founding Fathers' definition of liberty. When they speak of liberty, that's what they're talking about. They're not talking about that we have all the room to move. They're saying a person has the right to life. He has the right to liberty, freedom from slavery. And he has the right to pursue happiness. I lament in many ways the way our founding fathers spoke so strongly about that and yet denied it to the American slave. But nonetheless, it is, the, it is their intent and their goal in the Declaration of Independence about throwing off the chains of tyranny. And this, I believe, resonates with the Scriptures in a genuine and coherent way. When Christ speaks at Palm Sunday, when they, when they ride down and they say, Hosanna, we spoke in week one of this sermon that he was not an earthly king, but he was there to save. Jesus Christ is our Savior, our Messiah. In Luke Chapter 4, Jesus makes his inaugural speech on his campaign trail. He goes home to Nazareth. He gets on the uh, podium, unrolls the scroll, taps the mic, and he says this. It's from Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus did not bring a gospel of create a space so you can do what you want. Jesus is saving us from something. And we need to see that as that is the liberty that you and I enjoy. We are saved people. We were once in darkness and now we are in the light. And that's because Jesus Christ gave us the liberty of salvation. The images in the Jewish history that paint this picture are the cry of the Egyptian or the Jews when they were in Egypt. The Lord hears their oppressed cry and he rescues them. The cry of the people in the exile, the Lord hears their cry and he returns them home. This idea of being saved and brought back out of oppression is all through Scripture. But something happens. And this is where we'll focus our attention for the remainder of the morning. Something happens that's more significant than the Lord just saving us. The Lord doesn't just save us. He didn't bring the Jews or the Israelites at the time to the east side of the, of the Red Sea and say, all right, you are now free to do what you want. Somewhere up there is promised land. There's some milk and honey. Good luck finding it. But the Lord didn't do that. The Lord brought them to the east side of the Red Sea, brought them to a mountain, and then he says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And then the rest of the words are Exodus 20 that you know as the Ten Commandments. God says, I save you so that you can have my purpose. And this is the key in my mind to Christian liberty. Christian liberty is freedom to do not what we want to do, but freedom to do what we ought to do. It's freedom not to... Not to be free, it's freedom to serve God. We don't simply worship our liberation, we're called to worship our liberator. If you'll turn to Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through verse 27, Paul writes it this way. He starts the chapter with a question, am I not free? 
He says in 19, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am free from, I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. That's Christian freedom. Christian freedom is the fact that you can now, for the first time in your life, truly serve God. That's Christian freedom. We don't sit back and go, because Christ saved us, because he forgave our sins, we now go about our life doing what we want. The book doesn't become non-applicable, it becomes applicable. We're called to serve. Paul makes himself a slave to Christ in his freedom. Chapter 10, he says it a different way. If you'll turn to chapter 10, I'll read 23 and 24, and then I'll skip to verse 31. I'm trying to paint a picture for you, by the way, of the coherence of the book of Corinthians on this issue. Paul says this in 23, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. And listen to 24. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. In verse 31, he says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of the many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The world's view of personal liberty says that you are independent. It says that you are the most important person. It says that the system of government around us is there to celebrate our liberty. God's government, God's liberty says, you have been freed to do what is right. You have been freed so that for the first time you may actually do good. You have been freed so that you can worship your liberator. God's definition of liberty goes against individuality. It goes against personal freedom. And it goes beyond liberation.